Father in heaven, thank you for another good morning. God, thank you for a rain-filled weekend and yet sunshine this Sunday. Father, thank you that Sundays have become so precious and meaningful to us. Thank you, God, for the commitment to be here. We ask now, Father, that as we open your word again to Mark chapter 1, that you would speak to us, God. I pray that it would come with authority, authority as from God Almighty. God, that you would bring it to us, that you would convict us of our sins and fuel our faith. God, indeed, feed our faith that we would believe in the Lord Jesus. God, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear minds to understand, God. I pray that the result of you teaching us today, Father, is that we would love you, that we would worship you, that we would treasure you. God, this is what we're here for. We ask that you would work that in us through your word today. In Jesus' name we pray it all. Amen. If you would please turn the Bible to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. We're back where we were, but we're moving right along. If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We have the Black Pew Bibles there in front of you. It's page 919. 919 is where we'll be today with Mark chapter 1. I want to talk today about the teaching of Jesus. It's got me thinking a lot about teaching. I've often said that some of the people that I admire the very most are those who work in schools. School teachers are some of our biggest heroes. We appreciate them. I realize that right now in the news there's some discussion about uh, our situations with our school teachers. We need to be supportive of them and loving them, encouraging them. It is such a tough task to try to teach anybody anything, and even in the schools. That's the subject today in Mark chapter 1 is teaching. And I'll never forget some of my teachers. I I, I remember. I was sitting thinking this week about all the teachers that I can still remember. And I don't remember all the names of my teachers. I don't know if you do or not. uh, But I do remember some of them. I'll never forget my fourth grade teacher, Miss Wilson, uh, stopping a student dead in his tracks in class because he had asked a question he said that was a stupid question. And some of the classmates in my class were laughing at his stupid question. And she stopped all of us and she said, let me tell you, there's no such thing as a stupid question. How are you going to learn if you don't ask questions? I've never forgotten that. I was in the fourth grade. I don't know if other teachers agree with that, but it stuck with me. No such thing as a stupid question. If you don't know, ask, right? And I've never forgotten that. Never forgotten that to this day. I was in the fourth grade. I must have been nine or ten years old or something close to that. But I've never forgotten Miss Wilson. She had a reputation of being the strictest teacher going into the school. I knew that she was the strictest teacher. That's who I ended up with. But what I remember, maybe the only thing that I remember, is her telling our class there's no such thing as a stupid question, right? Teachers have that, that sort of an influence, and we know that. I love this quote from Henry Adams. He says, a teacher, listen to this, a teacher affects eternity. You can never tell where his influence stops. That's very true. Who would have dreamed, Miss Wilson, I don't even know if she's still living, who would have dreamed in 2016 a boy from Charlotte, North Carolina would be in Fairdale, Kentucky telling y'all about what Miss Wilson taught me in the fourth grade, right? You can never tell where the influence of a teacher stops. We're thankful for teachers. We're thankful for their devotion. We're thankful for all that teach. In our, in our boys' bedroom, they share a room. In our boys' bedroom, we have uh, written on the wall above their window in really big letters, like posted on the wall, a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, and it says, My son, do not forget my teaching. 
The Bible says this. Proverbs chapter 3, My son, do not forget my teaching. One of the things that we want to happen in our family is that Val and I as, pa- as parents would be very, very devoted, that we would labor to teach our kids, but that our kids would learn from us. There's a responsibility on us in being parents, but there's also a responsibility on the children that they would, that they would listen, and we want that to happen. We cannot state enough here today that teaching is important. And so we come to the Gospel of Mark and we see that one of the very first striking characteristics of Jesus is his teaching ministry. Jesus was a teacher. He was a good teacher. He was a great teacher. He taught like no one has ever taught before. And it caused people to stop and think. Today we want to look at the teaching ministry of Jesus. We're going to cover several passages. We're going to start today at verse 21, and we're going to go all the way uh, through verse 39. I considered taking us all the way to the end of the chapter, but I'm not. So if you come back next week, we'll pick up at verse 40 and go through the end of chapter 1. But today we're going to look, starting at verse 21, and go all the way through 39. Again, we're looking at Jesus, God, His Word with people, and the teaching that brings that about. Read with me there. Mark 1. Beginning of verse 21. And they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out in a loud voice, came out of him, and they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And the fever left her and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak, because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, And they found him, and they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, and preaching in their synagogues, and casting out demons. It's interesting to read the life of Jesus. When I introduced that we're going to go through the book of Mark, one of the things that is driving me excites me for you all is that if you will be here regularly, commit yourself to being here every Sunday morning, you will learn the Bible. You will understand that the Gospel of Mark, I'm telling you now, that where I just stopped is where we will start next week. Next week I'll start at verse 40 and we'll keep going. And you will cover passages maybe that you've never heard before. I bet that many of you are here today have never heard these stories that I just read. 
You've never heard somebody preach on those, and so you're learning, right? This is the goal of our church. One of the goals of our church is to teach people what God's Word says. Today, I want to give you three points around the teaching ministry of Jesus. Number one, Jesus was committed to teaching. Number one, Jesus was committed to teaching. Number two, Jesus' life affirmed his teaching. Jesus' life affirmed his teaching. Number three, Jesus' teaching has authority. Jesus' teaching has authority. Number one, he was committed to teaching. Number two, his life affirmed his teaching. And number three, Jesus' teaching has authority. So let's begin with, verse, with, with, with number one, Jesus was committed to teaching. This is what's fascinating about Jesus, among many things. This is one of them. This guy continued to teach, to teach, to teach. And he had a strategy about his teaching. He had a, a mission about his teaching. He had an urgency about his teaching, a going about his teaching. He had a, um, an unbiased focus on his pupils about his teaching. Jesus was a teacher in many ways. We have several passages in the scriptures where somebody comes to Jesus and they address him with teacher. Or rabbi, which means teacher for the Jewish people. They say rabbi, they say teacher, or they say good teacher, and they would address him that way. He was known as a teacher. But we see here that he is really, really committed to his teaching. I want to take you back to chapter 1, verse 14. And it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came to him in Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. Mark wants us to know that as soon as Jesus arrives, he is a preacher-teacher. Jesus comes proclaiming. Jesus is not one of these people that we've become accustomed with in our world today who are very religious, but they never actually say anything. Jesus is not one of these people that you uh, are friends with or they live on your street who they are really involved in their church, but they would never want anybody else to be. Or they have strong convictions about heaven or hell and salvation and eternal life and judgment and self-control and righteousness and all of these things, but they would, they would never tell somebody else not even their family or their neighbors or whatever. No. Jesus comes on the scene proclaiming. He is introduced in verse 14. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Jesus didn't come thinking, well, I'm going to uh, live here for a couple years, see if I can navigate the way, see if they'll accept me at the local high school, and then I'll start telling them what I believe. No, Jesus arrives on the scene telling them what they need to know. He was a teacher through and through. He taught people. But then as we read his, his story, we, we, we have this very thing. Verse 21 that we start with said, He came into a town... And immediately, and this is a characteristic of Mark to show the urgency here, he says immediately a lot, immediately on the Sabbath he went to the synagogue and was teaching. This is what was normal. Religious people, the Jews, would go to the synagogue and they would, they would look to see who was teaching. They would look to see what scriptures were being read and what discussion that there was. People would gather and listen to people teach. If it was a Saturday, the Sabbath, and, and you were a religious person, you had a faith in God, you would go there and, and you would look to see who was teaching, and they, you would listen to people, and you would have conversation, and you would, you would pose a question, and you would, you, you, would, you, would, you would listen to people explain God's Word, and, and Jesus would do this. We see this over and over again. In a very consistent manner, this was also what Paul would do. 
as Paul would travel around, as he learned it from the Lord Jesus Christ, who had called him to be an apostle, who had commissioned him to go and reach the world, Paul also would go to the place where people were able to listen to teachers. We had this here with Jesus. He went into the synagogue and he was teaching. They noticed that he was teaching. I'm going to talk about the authority of his teaching later. But in verse 22 it says, They were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them. He taught them. Jesus would just show up in a town and, and go to a synagogue. And people weren't going, Who's this new guy? People don't listen to the new guy. Or, or he's not one of us. No, the people were learning from him. He was committed to teaching. If you keep reading, you'll see this over and over again. Look down to... Um, Verse 38. Now, a lot has happened, right? We've, we've seen him heal people. We've seen him heal a man with an unclean spirit. We've seen him heal Peter's mother-in-law. That lets us know that Peter would have been married, right? One of the apostles is married. We have passages like that. You get down to verse 38, you see him say, let us go on to the next town. Jesus is going somewhere. We know that Jesus was on the move. We have a passage that says, Jesus doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He, he was going. Going to the next town. Why? That I may preach there also. Look what he says. For that is why I came out. This is why I came to be a teacher. I have a message to get to the world. I have a message that I want people to hear. You must understand this about Jesus. Jesus' work is that he came to die on the cross for our sins, but believing and being, being saved by Jesus' word comes about through you hearing that talk and you believing it. This is the work of God. That teaching is what Christian people do. I don't know what preachers do. It is certainly what preachers do. But teaching is what the people of God do because nobody becomes a people of God unless they've heard the teaching. Faith, Romans chapter 10, comes through hearing. Again, faith comes through hearing. Does everybody hear that? Faith comes through hearing. So why in Jesus is there a commitment to teaching? Because there is no way for anybody to come to know Him unless they have heard the teaching. So there's a commitment to teaching. This is why, as, as parents, they don't have to think a lot about what are we teaching? What are they learning from us? Commitment to teaching. But if we don't have a commitment to teaching, we have to ask, well then, what, what makes a good teacher? Man, this is a, this is a big conversation, isn't it? If you work in the school system, how do you judge what is a good teacher? Is it the teachers that get along well with the students? Or is it the, student, or is it the teachers whose students make the best scores? Or is it the students that, or is it the teachers that connect best with the parents? I mean, how do you gauge? That's kind of hard. This week I was talking to my sons, which are eight and seven as of yesterday. Eli turned seven yesterday and five. So I have an eight-year-old boy, a seven-year-old, and a five-year-old boy, and I... I asked them what is teaching, and they, they answered that pretty good. You know, it's where somebody tells something to somebody else. And I said, well, how do you know if somebody's a good teacher? And their answer was, if they're good at it. <laughs> Maybe so. But that's a harder question to ask. How, how do you know if somebody's a good teacher? There's probably a lot of answers, and I, I don't begin to have uh, much advice for people in the school system. But at some point, you have to start asking are the people learning? Right? At some point, you have to start asking, well, are they, are they getting it? Right? Are they learning? 
Are they learning? The good teachers are the ones who will find a way to get the students to learn it. Sometimes you have to change your strategy. What works for this kid may not work for this kid necessarily, but the goal is that they get it. That's what teaching is about. Notice that there were times where Jesus would look a religious person in the face and say, you brood of vipers. You're a snake. You remind me of your father, the devil, and you have nothing to do with the Word of God. Jesus talks that way to some people. There are other times where Jesus would see religious people using God for their fame and for their business and for their success. And Jesus would hardly even teach them. And he went in there and he cleansed the temple and he turned in the tables and he just ran them out of here and says, this ain't how we do it. Not in my Father's house. Jesus did that. But there were also times where Jesus would run into people who were in a mess with their lives. I remember one time Jesus interacted with a lady who was on her fifth husband. By all accounts in all cultures, five husbands would be awkward on her fifth marriage. But it happens. It happens. And we see Jesus not running her out. We see Jesus not forming a whip on her. We see Jesus talking to her. Getting her to recognize where her heart is at and what her problems are. Getting her to recognize what it means to have, have sinned and yet pointing her to the truth that she might come to know Him, that she might have life and seek forgiveness and live. What a great teacher Jesus is. We see Jesus at sometimes standing on a mountain proclaiming to people that they would get it and yet we see Jesus at other times slowing down. We see Jesus in one-on-one setting. We see Jesus with Nicodemus, if you will, in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus comes to him at night, perhaps he's a little bit embarrassed to be taught by Jesus, but he comes and he says, Jesus, we know, man, we know that you're a teacher sent from God. Nobody teaches the way you do. You have Jesus sitting down at night with this man Nicodemus who's a, a leader, a teacher. And Jesus even interacts with him and says, man, you're a teacher. You teach God's Word. You don't understand born again. You don't understand newness of life. You don't understand salvation. Jesus says that to him. And Nicodemus doesn't. But we see Jesus in a neat setting, sitting down at night, teaching. Jesus was committed to teaching. I want to challenge you here today with, do you teach? Do you have family? Do you have children? Do you have neighbors? Is the teaching of God going from you? Jesus was committed to teaching. We, therefore, must be committed to teaching. Again, you may not have a preaching platform like this, but you are a teacher. Everybody in the room, if time would allow it, would be able to tell something that their mother taught them, or their grandmother taught them, or their father, or their grandfather, or whoever it is that has had an influence on you, something you can talk something that taught you. I will never forget Miss Helms. She was a graduate of North Carolina. Her license plate said Tar Heel. I loved it. I don't know how she got that license plate, but that's a good one. She was my sixth grade PE teacher, Miss Helms. Kim Helms. I never forget, she said, if anybody wants to stay after, I'm going to teach people how to juggle. I was in the sixth grade. And she had these juggling handkerchiefs. And they floated in the air for a long time. And, you, and she would teach us that. And it took about a month or so, but I learned how to juggle with Miss Helms. And now it's been 25 years, and I can still juggle. 
because Miss Helms taught me that when I was in the sixth grade. I'll never forget that. I appreciate somebody who's committed to teaching. But being committed to teaching means you're wanting people to get it. Being, people, uh, being committed to teaching means that you understand that there are things that people need to learn. There need to be students. There need to be pupils. And Jesus gets this. And I want to ask you here today, and, and you see that Jesus is committed to teaching, I want to ask you, are you committed to learning? Are you committed to being taught by the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you have a hunger for His Word? Are you here today thinking, this is the best part of my day? This is the best part of my week? This is, this is what my soul needs? I need to be taught the Word of God. Are you committed to that? Jesus committed to teaching. Are we committed to learning? Do you remember uh, uh, when, when Jesus was tempted? I preached on it just a couple of weeks ago. The temptation is there in Mark chapter 1. But I referred back to the Matthew chapter 4 passage where it explains the temptations more in length. And, and there, Jesus is tempted to eat because he is hungry, right? And, and the devil tells him, well, why don't you make these rocks into bread and eat them? Surely there's nothing wrong with eating bread. And he tempts him to do that. But Jesus' response is a quote from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And Jesus says, no, I am hungry. But I'm not going to do that. And here's what he says. He quotes Deuteronomy 8. He says, man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word out of the mouth of God. Jesus understands that your living and therefore your dying is dependent upon your being taught by God. Are you learning from him? Is God teaching you? Do you have a church? Do you have a pastor? Do you have a way to be taught by God? We see here in these passages that Jesus is committed to teaching. But not only is Jesus committed to teaching, He is also affirming His teaching by His life. Number two, Jesus' life affirmed His teaching. One would think at a first read of this, that Jesus, is, or that Mark is writing this about Jesus to let us know something about Jesus and how he does these miracles, indeed, and how he does these healings. Indeed, many people have gotten sidetracked by the miracles and missed the point. Mark is wanting us to see in these miracles both the cleansing of somebody with an evil spirit and the healing of the lady who was ill and about to die. Those things, and then bringing everybody to his house, those things, people can get sidetracked by that. But Mark is wanting us to see that this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We ought to listen to his teaching. Mark is wanting us to see that his life affirms his teaching. Look at how Mark introduces his gospel. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So, Mark wants us to see that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Son of God. He wants us to get that. And now Mark is going to write a, a 16-chapter gospel, this long book, affirming he is the Christ. 
Christ means Savior. Christ means Messiah. Jesus is the one and the only one who can save you from your sins. Jesus Christ is the only person who will die for your sins. Jesus Christ is the only way for you to get right with God and be forgiven of your sins. He is the Christ. And in being the Christ, right, what enables him to be the Christ is that he is the Son of God. He is God Almighty who came to us in human form, lived among us, never sinned, modeled for us what godliness and humanity looked like, and then he died for us. And, 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 and in believing that, you can be saved and become a child of God. Mark tells us this in verse 1. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so everything he writes wants us to be strong in that. Well, he's showing us that Jesus is a teacher. The authority of his teaching is here, and that's going to be my final point. But he supports that with Jesus' life. Even in the story I just told you about Nicodemus. Nicodemus' very words to him were, we know that you're from God. Nobody can do the things you do if he's not from God. Do you see that? So Nicodemus is not a believer yet. Nicodemus has come with questions. He's curious. Now, praise God, we do see later in the Gospel of John that Nicodemus does commit himself to Christ, be forgiven of his sins, and become a follower of Jesus. But at that point in John chapter 3, he isn't. But what has, what has got him curious, eyebrows raised about the teaching of Jesus is he's heard his teaching, and then he's seen his life. A lot of times you hear somebody teach and you just automatically discredit them because of the way they live. But with Jesus, that is never the case. You may reject his teaching, but you're being drawn to his goodness. You're being drawn to his holiness. Jesus' life causes people to say, maybe he's right. Maybe he's right. Not only is this the way it is with Jesus that his life affirmed his teaching, but this is also the way it is to be for Christians. Church, listen to me. This is the example the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that we are to be living our lives above reproach. That we are to be blameless. That we are to be, be upright. We are to be people who live life the right way. We are to be people who aim to do good. We are to be people who humble ourselves. We are not people who are always trying to assert how right we are or trying to assert how much rights we have. No, we have taken a back seat to those things so that we might model what the goodness of God looks like. We are to be above reproach. We will live our lives in such a way where people will look at us and say, well, you know, I don't like what Josh believes. But maybe he is right. And maybe he's wrong. I don't like what the church preaches. But maybe they are right. This is what the Bible wants us to be like. And Jesus, no doubtedly, undoubtedly, his life affirmed this. Let, let me show you. Look here. So he's in the synagogue teaching, and they're taken back about his authoritative teaching. He does not teach, verse 22, the way the scribes do. And in that setting there in the synagogue, verse 23, immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Here's what happens. A man possessed by a demon of some sort has now come into the synagogue. And he cried out. Okay, so he comes to Jesus. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come here to destroy us? 
which Jesus has said many, many times, that His first coming was not to destroy anybody. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. But He sent His Son into the world that the world might be saved through Him. What a good verse in John chapter 3. No, He's not there to destroy this unclean spirit in this man. He's not. But then the unclean spirit yells out, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Listen, church. Even the demons have a very good understanding of God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. They do. They know Him. They have identified Him here. They came looking for Jesus. And remember, Jesus is committed to teaching, so He's about to deal with this. But, verse 25, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. Verse 27, And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? Y'all, the life of Jesus, the way he lived, had people at every turn going, What is this? this. And I want you to be somebody who so hears the Word of God that God is now working in you through His Word and you keep asking, what is this? I never thought that before, but now God is teaching me. I never knew that before, but now God is teaching me. I've always thought this, but now God is teaching me. And it's coming about through learning what Jesus is like. They said, what is this? The way he lived, the way he dealt with a synagogue, the way he dealt with the unclean spirit in the synagogue is what caused them to say, what is this? If unclean spirits came into the synagogue on other times, now we don't necessarily know, this one came looking for Jesus. So we can maybe assume that the reason why this man with the unclean spirit is in the synagogue is because he knows Jesus is there. He came looking for Jesus. But let's just try to imagine for a second what would happen if a man with an unclean spirit comes into the synagogue and Jesus is not there. What happens to you when you're somewhere and some crazy drama starts happening? I'm not sure if we would call it an unclean spirit or not, but maybe so. What do you do in a setting when a fight breaks out? What do you do if you're in the bank and somebody runs in trying to rob the bank? What do you do when things go crazy somewhere? And I doubt you keep your poise and don't freak out and just start telling them what to do. I doubt it. But Jesus' life is one like we've never seen. Jesus is a man. I know it's pretty common for you men to say you're not scared of anything. But whether you admit it or not, man, you are scared of God Almighty. And you ought to be rightly so. Amen. He loves you. But if you reject Him, He will crush you. Do not mock God. Jesus Christ is the only man not scared of anything. Weapons come. The devil comes. Crucifixion on a cross comes. Unclean spirits come. And Jesus never runs. When his buddies pull out their swords, he says, put them away. Jesus is never scared. And he turns around and they say, we know who you are, the Holy One, Son of God. And Jesus says, stop it. Get out of here and they're gone.
because he's God. He's God, y'all. He's God. He does whatever he wants and nobody will stop him. And everybody there in a teaching setting, inside the church, if you will, the synagogue says, what is this? Who is this guy? And the conclusion is, we better listen to him. This isn't the only time that his life affirmed his teaching. His whole life affirmed his teaching. We don't know what it was about his life in last week's passage. But you have four fishermen fishing, and Jesus walks up and says, Hey guys, catching anything? Well, come on, follow me. We're going to go fish men. And they go. There's not a lot of explanation on that, but there's something about the life of Jesus that compels these people to go. What about the passage in, I believe, Matthew chapter 16, which we call the Transfiguration, where Jesus is on the mountain with the three disciples and He's transfigured into the Holy God that He is and He shows them that. And we have a voice from heaven, God His Father Almighty, speaks to the situation. Do you remember what He says? Behold, this is my Son, my Son that I'm well pleased with. God Almighty, speaking out of heaven, says to this, and you know what He said next? Listen to Him. This boy knows how to teach. Listen to Him. You might say, our Father in Heaven said. Listen to Him. This guy is God. Listen to Him. So Jesus is committed to teaching and his life is affirming his teaching. Now look, look what they say here. Look back to uh, verse 27. And they were all amazed and they questioned among themselves saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority. Look what they say next. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. He's one of those teachers that people listen to. He truly is one of those good teachers. He has authority. That's going to be my third point. But that's what they're noticing. Who is this? Demons listen to him. This is very, very similar in its comment to another one. Do you remember the time that they were at, the, all the disciples were on the boat and they were at sea and they were trying to cross over and in the middle of it a big storm comes up and the Bible says that the storm was so raging that they were about to die but it says that they feared for their lives. Do you remember that passage? And the Bible tells us that God Almighty again who's never scared of anything, Jesus Christ, is asleep in the bottom of the boat. He's not worried about storms. But they wake him up scared. And they accuse him. Do you not care that we're about to die? And Jesus gets up and says, why, why don't you believe? And you kind of picture Jesus being sleepy-headed. Most people that wake up are sleepy-headed. And Jesus wakes up and he comes out to the boat and looks at the storm. Everybody else is scared to death. Again, Jesus is not scared of anything. He says, be still. Calm down, you storm. Calm down. And it does. Y'all, the waves, the storms, the weather, the clouds, everything stops when Jesus tells it to. When Jesus teaches, his teaching works. But do you remember what they said? What is this? What is this? 
the winds and the waves obey him? What is this? See, here they're going, what is this? The demons obey him? They're, what is this? The weather obeys him? His life affirmed his teaching. To know Jesus was to say, I want to listen to what he says. I want to hear his opinion. I want to see how he's going to treat this. Don't we have several passages in the Gospels where his opponents came up and said, we're going to try to trick him right here. We're going to try to trick him. We want to see what he's going to say. They were drawn to his life. They were drawn to his teaching. I want to ask us, are you drawn to his teaching because you're familiar with his life? Do you know who he's like? Or do you know what he's like? Do you know how he is? Do you see how he treats people? And you think, wow, I want to be that way. I want to run into somebody at Walmart who looks like they're a mess of a mess of a situation and I want to be the nicest person they've ever met. I want to be able to lead them to Jesus right there. I want to say, come follow me. I want to bring them to my church. I want to spend my money on them. I want to take them out to lunch. I want to meet their needs and help them instead of being all judgmental on them like we tend to be wrongly. Jesus' life is something for us to look at. Do you look at his life? Are you learning from his life? Do you see a picture of a man who has more strong conviction than anybody in the world? He is so strong in his convictions and he never, ever compromised, ever. He never sinned. Yet, he could take that over here and treat people well. See, one of our big problems is we try to put people in two categories. Like we've got conservatives and liberals and that there's no in-between and it's all a big mess. Well, Jesus is a beautiful picture of putting together love and mercy and grace and understanding and meeting people with where they're at and not judging them for, for how they've been and yet being strong in his convictions. If y'all will start thinking outside of the box and become somebody who believes the Bible, you can be somebody who has super strong convictions on what God Almighty says, what His standard is, His holy word, and yet you can also be a solution to the situation and the problems that are around you. You can help people. You can serve. And you cannot be judgmental. We see this with Jesus. And the very thing about him is that people would see him and they wanted to hate him, but they kept coming back to him. Even to the very last moment before he's crucified, he's put on trial before Pontius Pilate, and he goes out there and talks to people, and he comes back and talks to Jesus, and he goes back and talks to people, and he comes back and talks to Jesus, and he comes out there and he says, I don't see anything wrong with him. I've got no dirt on him. He's not guilty in my mind. So I think I should let him go. No, crucify him. Okay, I'll crucify him. And they crucified him. But in his mind, he's thinking, I don't know any sin in this guy. Jesus is an awesome picture of what it means to live right and yet stand on the truth. His life affirmed his teaching. And lastly, so when you did get to his teaching, boy, was it authoritative. He was committed to teaching. His life affirmed his teaching. And his teaching has great authority. Notice what their reaction is. A new teaching with authority. Now, for religious people, whether we're in the synagogue or whether it's you here coming to church, you've heard sermons before, right? And a sermon's a sermon, right? Every once in a while I may say something that may get your attention or whatever, but a sermon's a sermon. 
And so it is that everywhere in every place, a sermon's a sermon. What gives this sermon authority? What gives the message authority? What actually does produce in us change in life and faith and repentance? It's not the messenger. It's the truth of the message. It's not the messenger. It's the truth of the message. Charles Spurgeon tells the story of how he was converted in England in the 1800s. And he says to this day, or to the day that he died, he said it was the worst sermon ever preached in the history of the world. He said he had never been to church before, but he had been invited to church by a friend. And he was walking to church in the 1800s in England, and he's traveling to get to that church for the first time that he's ever been there. But the snowstorm was so strong that day that he couldn't make it to the church that he was going to. Well, on his, on his road walking there, there's a man standing outside another building saying, Sir, won't you come in? We're about to have church. Would you like to come in? He says, Well, I'm trying to make it down here to such and such because my, my friend invited me to church. He said, Oh, the snowstorm is too bad. It's too cold. You need to just come in here. So Charles said, Okay. And he went. So it was the first time at this church. He didn't know anybody there. And he had, he had never even been to church. He gets inside and they make an announcement and said, Preacher couldn't make it. He snowed in. Anybody else want to preach? And a man volunteered and said, Well, I guess I will. He stands up there and reads a passage from the Gospels and Charles Spurgeon recalls that that man didn't know how to preach. He didn't have anything to say, but he kept saying, the Bible says, look to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said the man must have said a hundred times in that sermon, look to Jesus. And Charles Spurgeon says, by the power of God Almighty and the Holy Spirit's work in my heart, I looked to Jesus. And God saved me. Because it's never, ever in the messenger. It's in the message. And we can't control when God's Spirit decides to go crazy working through the message, but when He does, people will be changed. When God comes in power, He comes in power. And if the truth will set you free, it will set you free indeed. And God does this. And that's why when He's working there in the synagogue and demons are being cast out, people are saying, this teaching. They're not going, this man. They're saying, this teaching, because the power is in the Word. I don't know what y'all think about motivational speakers, but they're pretty cool and you like to listen to them and they always tell good stories. But motivational speakers are meant to do just that. They're meant to motivate. And people that are, are to be motivated means that they wear out of being motivated. And every once in a while we need to be motivated again, right? We need a pep talk. Can somebody please come into the locker room before the game and give us one of those messages that's going to make us go out there and fight like we've never fought before, right? We need that type of a pep talk. Y'all, Christianity, Sunday morning church, is never a pep talk. It is never a motivational speech. It is God Almighty speaking the truth to us. You get motivated by a motivational speaker, and that may work for a little bit, but then it wears off. You get the power of the Word of God inside of you, and it will last. I'll never forget when I said that God was calling me into the ministry. I was a teenager. Neither of my parents grew up much in church, and neither of my parents had ever done anything with ministry. And I told my dad that, and he about laughed. I said, this is what I think God wants me to do. Here we are 20 years later, and it's still what I think God wants me to do. I believe that the Scriptures are calling me to be a minister. And when the Word of God gets inside of us, it works. Jesus teaches with authority. 
Now, at the end of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has already died on the cross, been buried, rose again, and he's about to ascend up into heaven. He's almost gone. And he calls the disciples to him and he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. Jesus commands stars to shoot and they shoot. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's not a motivational speaker, okay? He changes lives. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this last line. Teaching them. Jesus' command for me and you is to be a teaching people. If you have anybody in your life, you ought to be teaching them what God says. They ought to be knowing God's ways. They ought to be knowing God's rules, knowing God's standards, knowing God's mercy, knowing God's forgiveness, knowing God's love, knowing God's acceptance, knowing God's Son and how He paid it all. And if anybody is in Christ, He is safe. But we ought to be a teaching people. I want to close with John chapter 8. If you would, turn to John chapter 8 just a little bit further. John chapter 8. Jesus is in a teaching session here in John chapter 8. And he's trying to teach these religious people that they do not know God. That's the issue. Do you know God or do you not? He's trying to teach them that they do not know God. And in John chapter 8, verse 39, they reply back to Jesus with an assertion, no, we are very religious. John chapter 8, verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, look at this quote, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Look at verse 43. This is the verse I want you to know. I'm ending right now with this verse. Look at verse 43. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. The issue, folks, is his teaching. Disguise it and say that it's something else. Deny it outright. The issue is God's Word. Jesus is indeed the great teacher. His life affirms His teaching, and His teaching comes with authority. May it be that we are a people who believe the Word of God because Jesus is teaching us, and Jesus has taught us and God's word climaxes in that passage I began with in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus came preaching the gospel. If you're here today and you've never been forgiven of your sins, we ask you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That God killed Jesus on the cross that you would be forgiven. That your sins killed him on the cross that you would be forgiven. And when he rose from the grave, he assured that you can be right with God and be a child. If you're here today, we ask you to believe. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and for Jesus' commitment to teaching.
Father, make us a people and a church that love Your Word, who have been taught, and we follow our Teacher, Jesus. God, thank You that we do know Your Word to have authority. Just as Jesus said in Matthew 16, upon this rock I will build my church, because Your Word has power. God, I pray here today that people would know You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.